0: So, you may have seen in the news this past week that Artemis 1 launched towards the moon. I think it was in the wee hours of Wednesday morning. In case you don't know what this is about, this is uh, an unmanned flight, the mission of which is to, uh, of of this particular uh, flight, is to send this spacecraft out to circle the moon and actually pass the moon. The point of the whole affair is to do a test run of the Orion system and to ensure uh, once it returns with its reentry and descent and splashdown and recovery that the whole vehicle, especially the Orion craft itself, is in fact going to be safe for the first crewed mission, and that will be Artemis II sometime in the, m- in the months to come. Uh, we're going back to the moon. That's hard to believe. Yeah, we're go- actually going back to the moon. And so what that means is NASA uh, has, to, has to have this shakedown cruise. That's basically what Artemis 1 is. It's a shakedown cruise where they're, getting, they're going through the preparations. They're trying to make sure that they have uh, all the expectations squared with what's coming. Because th- the reality is if you're going to the moon, you cannot afford, pardon the pun here, but you cannot afford to have any daylight between your ideas of what life and moving around on the moon is going to be like and the reality of the moon itself. You cannot afford to have any daylight, any flawed expectations whatsoever when it comes to things of this import and the scale and the stakes, okay? Certainly, certainly you you can't do that. Well, where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that there's something of a parallel here when it comes to our expectations of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Those two things, by the way, are the same. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, those are all synonyms, one for another. Jesus does not want to, to He does not want us to have any daylight, if I could put it that way. Jesus is not interested in his people in there being daylight between our expectations and the reality of what it means to follow him. And so he is speaking into that again and again and again, lest we have a poor idea of what all is involved with this and following him. So with that in mind, we're going to look at a series of parables this morning. Uh, If you've got a Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me now to Mark chapter. Four, Mark chapter 4. This is the last in this little mini-series that we've been doing over the last several weeks, uh, asking the question, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, specifically through the, the lens of Mark's gospel? That's, that's where we've been really kind of s- settled here in trying to get to, to answers to that question. And this is really part of the point of why Jesus tells these parables that he does. So we're going to be looking at three of these, uh, and I'm going to tell you we're gonna, it's going to be a, a fast, uh, high-altitude flyover of these three parables, any one of which you could spend at least one time, one Sunday, or, or multiple Sundays on any one of them. But we're just trying to get an overview in terms of what does Jesus want us to hear in terms of what our expectations should be when it comes to following him. So. With that in mind, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. then we're going to skip a little bit and get to Mark chapter 4, verses 14 to 20, and then skip a little bit and move over to Mark 24 verses 26 to 32. It's all going to be on the screen. I'll prompt you if you're trying to follow with your Bible, okay? All right, Mark 4, starting in verse one. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching he said to them listen a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now skipping over to verse 14. and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now skipping over to verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should... Scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Well, let's uh, stop now and pray for the Lord's blessing his, uh, that we would have insight into his word. Let's pray. Jesus. Would you please um, put us there that day, uh, just as those folks were uh, standing there listening, listen to you as you were teaching, uh, would you help us to hear? Would you help us to hear? We have come, we have much, every bit as real as those folks did that day. They came to hear you. Jesus, we have come to hear you here this morning. Would you please, please be so merciful as to give us, even us, despite all of our mess, uh, despite all of our waywardness, despite all of our stubbornness, despite all of our contrariness and obstinate unbelief in so many areas of our lives, would you please, please help us to hear this morning that we would have a bit better an understanding of what it means to follow you. What does it mean to be citizens of the kingdom? What does it mean for the kingdom to have come and yet to be coming? This we ask in your name. Amen. So the mission briefing. That's something that you oftentimes see in the flow of a drama, whether in a television show or a movie or perhaps a book that you're, you're reading. The, the mission briefing. The idea is that you get a, a team of people together, and they're about to, to go out and, and do this thing that they haven't done before, some novel um, job uh, task that's been given to them, and and likely in many cases is is going to have a bit of danger uh, to it as well, some edginess to it as well. So let me give you three quick examples of of this sort of scene, and maybe one of them will land on you for the sake of, of the drama. So Star Wars, New Hope. The rebels are gathered there towards the end of the film, and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're meeting. It's, it's the briefing before they assault the Death Star, right? So that's the mission briefing. Uh, you have Toy Story. So I'm going in different directions now. Toy Story. Woody has gathered the rest of the toys to get ready for this assault on Sid, and he uses dominoes and, and other things from Sid's room to try and illustrate the point and prepare the toys for this grand assault. Pete Mitchell in Maverick, right, this past summer, uh, in that great movie. Uh, he, he and his team, there's a mission briefing in which their, their task is to fly in and, and take out this unsanctioned, heavily defended, unnamed as far as the nation, interestingly enough, uh, uh, uranium enrichment plant. And they've got to take this, this thing out. Um, in every one of those cases, and I could list a gazillion more, and you guys could make your suggestions as well as far as the movie, the TV show, whatever it is. In every one of these scenarios, the idea is that the objective, first off, the objective needs to be clarified. This is why you're being sent forth. This is what, you, what the whole thing is about. So your, 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 your mission, your assignment, your objective has to be clarified. And at the same time, any flawed expectations that you have about that mission, about that task, need to be corrected. Mission briefing. Think of this as a mission briefing. These parables that Jesus is giving to his people, then and now, you know, not, not just then, but, but now as well, uh, where he wants us to understand what it means for the kingdom of God to have come. And, and what does it mean when he speaks of the gospel of the kingdom? Uh, the idea of the eternal Touching down into the temporal, or as some authors have said, the, the future invading the present. Those are pretty good images as to what the kingdom of God involves, and it's coming already. And having not not in full, but having it touched down yet already. Jesus wants our expectations to be right. And he even in that moment is having to address flawed expectations of his people, of his disciples. The expectation at the time was that the kingdom, yes, it would come, but it would come all at once, all at once and fully. So not stretched out over a period of time, and not partially, but all at once and fully. That was the idea at the time, and he needs to correct that again and again and again, because it's simply not the way it's going to be. So in order to curtail theirs and ours' disappointment, In order to minimize theirs and ours discouragement, in order to eliminate theirs and ours disillusionment, Jesus speaks, he speaks these parables, uh, lest our expectations be flawed. Let me put it this way, we need so much more than our limited truncated ideas of the kingdom. We need so 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 much more than our limited, truncated ideas of the kingdom. At the time, the Jewish expectation, and in some ways, it's not that different. I think than than our own. the The, the idea of the kingdom, and if this is an image that uh, just one author I was reading this past away this week put it, was something akin to like a boulder just rolling down a hill and tearing across the land, and 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 tearing through and and undoing everything in its path. You know, a sudden, violent sort of presence changing everything in in that way. But that's not it. The image is not in any way a boulder just rolling through the land, but rather a seed. A seed being planted into the ground, underneath the ground, slowly that transforms the whole landscape. Those are two very different images, two very different ways of, of, of working. And Jesus says it's not the boulder, it's the seed. And, and, and our misconceptions and then and now are oftentimes can be so dramatic that the very first thing that he says just before he starts to tell the first story, did you catch it in verse 3? Listen. With an exclamation point in our English Bibles. You know why? because it's an imperative it's a command before he even says uh, any gives any of the teaching in terms of the parables themselves jesus says listen because he's got something startling to convey to those who will have but ears to hear listen the kingdom of god is not what we expect The kingdom of God is not what we expect, and so we need to listen carefully to what Jesus says. Listen is his command to his people. Now, what do we learn, these three stories? What do we learn of the kingdom? How does it rattle our expectations? These are the three points. It's there in your outline, so where we're heading in the next few minutes. The first thing is the response, this is part of the surprise, The response to this message of the kingdom, the response depends upon the hearer. The growth, this is the second point, comes in stages. And thirdly, the beginnings may seem small. And every one of those things, we struggle. When you really think about it, we all struggle still with the reality of what Jesus is conveying, and so all the more reason we need to hear it. So, first... Here's the question that Jesus is addressing with this first parable. Why is it that there is opposition to the king? He's demonstrated these miracles. He's demonstrated the the wisdom and winsomeness in uh, in his teaching. Clearly, he is the king. And yet, how then can there be this opposition? It's rising, even at this beginning, early stages in his ministry. How can that be and the answer is well the response depends on the hearer and so he tells the what we call the parable of sometimes the parable of the sower it's probably better called the parable of the soils because it really is more about the soils than the sower so let's break break this down if we can for just uh, as we're moving through this so we the the first we see here in uh, mark 4 verses 3 through 4 listen a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Now, this is a little different as far as uh, farming techniques go. We're not. This sounds backwards, and in fact, it's absolutely just the reverse of the, how, the way we typically do it today. This was the broadcasting method of sowing seed, meaning you just had a, a bag of seed, and you went along the ground, and you threw it as you walked. And then later came the, uh, the plowing, right, okay? Ours is is just the opposite. We plow, then sow. In those days, in that time, they sowed, then plowed, okay? And so when you're doing it that way, the farmer just knows this is the way it's going to be. It's going to fall on some soils of varying quality and varying ability to receive the seed as the sower is moving along. And Jesus says in terms of an understanding our understanding a right understanding then of partly of of one of the soils one of the, the attitudes the the uh receptiveness of the heart would be it's like seed falling on a path it's like feed seed falling on hard soil because it's in fact it is a hard soil it's a hard heart it's a hardened heart that refuses to receive in fact the, satan takes that opportunity to, like the birds of the air, come down, snatch that seed, lest there be any fruit in this person's life. That's one of the soils. That's one of the the responses that he wants us to understand. Secondly, you you just keep reading here, verses 5 through 6, "'Other seed fell on rocky ground "'where it did not have much soil, "'and immediately it sprang up "'since it had no depth of soil.'" And in Jesus' explanation, uh, oh, wait, sorry, and when the, uh, when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Okay, so Jesus' explanation when you keep reading through the chapter is, okay, well, the idea is, is that, uh, and everyone knew this at the time, that sometimes you could have a layer of soil upon some rocks, a layer of rocks, and what happens is in the heat of the summer, those rocks through the soil absorb the warmth of the sun, As it gets colder, they're releasing that heat into the seeds, and those seeds spring up, but they don't have a lot of soil to work with to establish roots, so then when the heat comes, they dry up and die out. That's the idea, and everyone knew that at the time as as you're sowing seeds along uh, various places. It would fall in such places as rocky ground, and Jesus explains. Look, the the reality is some soil, some hearts are like that, like rocky ground. Ground And the seed gets in there, and there is a response, but it's short-lived due to rocks of varying kinds in that person's life, such that when trouble or persecution comes because of belief, they walk away. There's a withering, and that is one of the soils, that is one of the attitudes, one of the responses of the human heart. There is a third one that Jesus uh, puts forward here. And this is among thorns, verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. So when you think about it, uh, at one level, the thorns do allow for some growth, right? Th- they do, to some degree. There's th- the problem is, is that they um, steal, some of the, the, the light, the nutrients from the sun, some of the nutrients from the soil because there's this competition between the seed that the farmer has sowed and the thorns that are there in the, in the field. So there's a, there is some growth, but there's a, it's compromised because of the presence of these, these thorns. and I, as there's, there's a choking effect because of that competition. Well, Jesus explains, this is what this is about. The problem is not what's absent, the problem is what's been added. The thorns, and in, in fact, he specifically says here in, uh, in chapter four, uh, verse nineteen, the care, these thorns he describes as the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things come in and choke that word. Again, this is one of the responses, and the reason it's one of the one of the responses is because this is one of the realities of the receptivity of the soil. The soil of a human heart is like seed going into a soil that has thorns there. Well, there's one more. This is the fourth of the four. This is what he describes as the good soil. And we see this here in verse 8. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now, in Galilee... At that time, the, the norm was growth somewhere between 5 and 15-fold. 10 was regarded as, as good. Okay, But Jesus is here speaking of something far beyond that, far, far beyond what his hearers would have expected in terms of growth. There's supernatural, extraordinary, astonishing growth that is that is taking place here. And, and, the, and the, his explanation, it's not so hard to understand what he's saying here. This is fruitful soil, is the fruitful life, the fruitful follower of Jesus where the, the seed has come down, it has been received into the soil, it has endured, it has not been rejected. Um, there is a flourishing and great fruit that then comes out of that. In utter contrast, in utter contrast to the results of the other three. Okay, so back to the question. The question was, why? Why is it, Jesus, if you are in fact the king, there, there is this mixed response to you, the great king? And the answer is, it has to do with the response. The response depends upon the, the, the heart condition of those who receive the word. That's the answer. It's not disproof that he's it's it's not evidence that he's not the king. He's telling us from the start, this is how the kingdom comes, and this is something that you need to understand. This is what's going on with the opposition. It's interesting to think that it's quite possible. We have no way of knowing this. So so please don't I'm not trying to read more into the text, but No few commentators ask this question, point this possibility out. That possibly one of the reasons that Jesus is using a a, a parable, an image like this in that moment is because even as he's in the boat and teaching the people that he was able to point in a direction where in fact there was a farmer doing exactly this, broadcasting seed. And the people look And they get it. Now, we don't know if that actually happened. Here's what we do know. In that moment, Jesus was sowing seed. Right? In that very moment that he is teaching this parable, in this very moment, as he is teaching this parable to us, he is sowing seed. Right here, right now, in this moment, in this room. Now, here's the thing. The question that we insist on asking him, that we bring to the table when it comes to, well, why the opposition? Why the varied responses? Da-da-da-da-da. We come with, with how can this be? That, That sort of question. How can this be? And what Jesus is saying to us with all seriousness and gentleness and love is, my friend, the question is really not for you. How can this be? The question for you is, which soil are you? Which soil are you? That's the question that we really need to be asking of ourselves in this moment. For the kingdom does not come in the ways we might expect. And so because of that, we've really got to listen to what Jesus, carefully to what Jesus is saying. Now, that's the first story. That's the one where he gives the clear explanation, lest we miss it. Some would say it's, it's, it's the foundation for all the, para, all the other parables that he tells. Uh, we need to have a handle on this one. Let's move on to the second one. And, and here the, the question is not why the opposition to you, Jesus, but why the slowness? Why doesn't the kingdom come all at once, now and all at once. And so Jesus tells this, this story. He's trying to make the point that the growth, yes, it comes, but it comes in stages. So skipping over to verse 26, the parable of the seed growing. And he said, the kingdom of God is if is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So why the slowness because it comes in stages? Now some background. Th- the farmer that's doing the sowing here in this moment, he, he does not know all that's going on there beneath the soil. He can't see it if there are no other reason. He simply cannot see it. But he does know this. He does know that despite all the forces that are at work against, against the, the growth and flourishing of this little seed down there in the ground, despite all the forces arrayed against this little seed, there's going to be growth, and there's going to be a harvest. That much he knows. He knows that the harvest is going to come, and yet at the same time, there's going to be waiting. This is not an insta garden. Uh, that's not the way this is going to work. It's going to come incrementally, the growth of the seed that he has, has sown. Now, the significance of that is, again, it's, it's not, Jesus is trying to get across to us, it's not going, the kingdom has not come immediately, but incrementally. And again, I alluded to the expectations of the time, of the people, that the idea was is that the kingdom, because of a misreading and misunderstanding and poor teaching, The idea was that the kingdom was going to come triumphantly, dramatically, perhaps even violently, all at once and fully, perhaps politically and militarily. That was the idea many had at the time. And Jesus is saying, no, it is not going to come immediately. It is going to come incrementally. And again, this is something we need to hear, just like with the message of the first parable. Why the opposition? Even now, Jesus, to you. We need to hear, even now, why slowly? Because, folks, we are impatient. Oh, we are impatient, and it shows in our response. So, if I may, let me illustrate the point of the story by telling a story. Some of you may be familiar with the classic children's book series, Frog and Toad. Okay, I'm not going to do the voices. I could, but I'm not <laughs> going to do the voices, okay? Uh, one of the stories is called The Garden. And you, those of you are familiar with the story, you may know where this is going. So the, so Frog, who's sort of like the straight man of the two, um, straight amphibian, anyway, he's the, the straight man of the two, and he has this garden, and the garden's popping. And Toad, because just this is who Toad is, Toad is... He's kind of slow to catch on, and he's he's a bit envious, and so he wants a garden of his own, and so Toad shows him and helps him get set up, and and so Toad has this these expectations of how this garden is going to grow, and it doesn't go according to his expectations, so he gets angry, and he actually starts to yell at the seeds, grow. That was my voice, uh, <laughs> seeds grow, and it's it's kind of funny, you know, it's it's a children's book, it's a. It's a funny response and all because his impatience, showing itself the way it does, but it's not a whole lot different than yours and mine. Grow! Yeah, I got your attention, see? (laughs) That's our response because we are so impatient. We say, this isn't working. In my personal life, These spiritual disciplines is so slow, and and I hardly see any change. And frankly, the integrity that you're asking me to, to walk in is so costly. This isn't working. We need another strategy. How about at the cultural level? We say, this isn't working. Look at all the change. Look at hell in a handbasket. Western culture today, early 21st century. And we say, this isn't working. This whole love for enemies stuff, uh-uh, I'm done with that. That's, see where that's gotten us? That's what some people are saying now within the church. As though there was an expiration date on Jesus' commands. As though somehow we are in a unique uh qualified exceptional period that allows us to just say what we want as we want and just get in the muck with everybody else because it's not working what 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 is the what, what's the it and what is it betraying of our goals and aspirations Jesus says the kingdom comes in stages that's why it appears to be slow, and we need to listen. We need to listen. There's a third, a third point, a third story. Uh, not only Jesus is getting at the answer to the question, why the opposition, why so strident? What's going on there with the various responses? Why so slow? What's going on there? Uh, there's one more. Why, why so small? Why so seemingly insignificant, the kingdom? And Jesus gets to this as well, because again, we, we ask it ourselves, as disciples were asking at the time, why so seemingly insignificant? And the answer is because, well, the beginnings may seem small. They always have and they always will. Uh, verses 30 through 32, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So the mustard seed. Uh, The size of the seed. This is the idea. It is so, so small. Now it's not... This is not the smallest seed known to man, okay? This was the smallest seed known to the people at the time, and that was commonly used. Jesus is not giving a botany lesson, okay? So this is the smallest of the seeds that was common in that part of the world and used at that time. And the idea being here, even just with the the mustard seed, and, and the people knew this, under the right soil conditions and the right growth patterns, it was possible for this itty-bitty little seed, you know, smaller than a sesame seed, to grow up to become, now it really was a bush, but it was so large, 10 to 12 feet high, could be thought of as a tree. Astonishing, the idea being such small beginnings and such extraordinary results in terms of where it ends up, the beginning and the ending. And Jesus, in, in terms of the significance of this, well, George Ladd, in, in writing on this parable, puts it this way Rejected by religious leaders, welcomed by tax collectors and sinners, Jesus looked more like a deluded dreamer than the bearer of the kingdom of God. See, in this moment, when Jesus is up there in Galilee in a boat with people gathered all around him, that looks like the mustard seed. Okay? Hanging on a cross, abandoned by nearly all of his followers. That's a mustard seed. The early years of the church, when it's just a few of them, and they hardly have their act together, and you read the New Testament epistles, and it's anything, anything but emotionally healthy people. That's the mustard seed. My life, your life, our life together, this church, mustard seed, mustard seed. The the paradigm goes all, all the way across. But here's the thing. So you have small beginnings, Jesus and his disciples, and then no sane historian can deny the explosive growth that transformed the world coming out of Galilee and sweeping across the whole world, affecting every culture every culture ever since, and growing and growing ever, ever since. Why so small? Why does it seem so small? Because from the very beginning, it's the idea is first the seed, and then, then the tree. So what we have to, as a takeaway here, we have to consider is this simple idea. Don't overlook the message. It, it's a mustard seed message, okay? It's a mustard seed message. Don't overlook this message. So the, 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 the gospel of the kingdom. And the reality, the good news is that the king has come and, and that um, we, he embraces us, brings us into this kingdom by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is a profoundly life-changing, altering, transforming message. Don't sell it short. Uh, don't think there's no applicability to the worst, deepest, ugliest stuff of your life. So personally, this message needs to be brought into your broken relationships. You need the gospel. The guilt you carry because of what you did, whenever that was and whatever it was, you need the gospel. The shame that, you, that cripples you because of what was not what you did, but because of what was done to you, you need the gospel. The bondage that many of us suffer under because of addictions of all various kinds whether that be food or fitness or pleasure or porn or sex or sports or work or alcohol or prescription drugs or approval, we need the gospel. Don't overlook this mustard seed. Culturally, what do we need? as our nation, as our culture is wrestling with racial tension and moral confusion and political division and increasing cynicism on in all sides and an inability to even listen, to say, say anything, of, of speaking with empathy and compassion one to another. What do we need? The gospel, this mustard seed. That's what we need, every one of us at every level the beginning, yes, may seem small. That's the paradigm. That's the story. Listen carefully, though, to what Jesus is saying. What we don't need is a boulder. That's what we ask for. It's what we think we need. What we need is the seed. We need the seed. Now, let me just end with this. This, this counterintuitive nature of the kingdom, as Jesus is articulating here in these parables, this counterintuitive nature of of the of the kingdom and how it comes should not really surprise us, right? I mean, I mean think in terms of, or, or just you know what we've been talking about so far So the responses that depend upon the hearer and the uh, the growth that comes in stages and the beginnings that seems so small, that should hardly surprise us. When what we're talking about and and who we're listening to is the creator of the universe himself come in the flesh speaking to little ones like us, should it surprise us that we are surprised? Should it shock us that what his message to us regarding the ways of his kingdom don't operate according to our expectations considering whose kingdom it is? Actually, that's an argument for it considering who it is that's speaking. We should expect to be surprised. We should expect to this, for this to just rattle our expectations. Jesus, again and again and again in his earthly ministry, refuses, and still today, refuses to be boxed in by our expectations and our agendas. Think of the number of times in which he just blows that up in, as his disciples are watching his dealings with people in his willingness to lay low the people who had exalted themselves and to lift up those who had been trampled down, blowing expectations. Think of the ways in which he refused. This just just is so astonishing to observe and, and to take to heart. He refuses time and again to explode in anger when he himself is mistreated and disrespected. Never do you see that. But when someone else... Is mistreated and disrespected? Get out of the way. His mercy to sinners like you and me, is that expected? Really? It's counterintuitive. He's confounding our expectations all the time. Christianity as a worldview, as a philosophy, as a religion, as a faith, as a relationship is different than any other. You could say on the one hand, it's harder than any other in terms of the expectations. And yet, softer than any other when it comes to the forgiveness and the mercy that is extended. It is more exclusive than any other considering There's only one way to be saved. It is more inclusive than any other, considering who can be saved. People like us. This is counterintuitive written all over it. From stem to stern. Jesus is not willing to stop at our expectations. He is determined to expand them. Because that's what the kingdom is, expansive. That's who the king is, expansive. The kingdom is not what we expect. We need to listen carefully to what Jesus is saying. Let's pray. Jesus, we still need these parables. No matter how many times we've heard them, no matter how familiar or unfamiliar we may be with them, we still need these parables. Jesus, why the opposition? Why is your kingdom coming so slow? Why does everything seem in in, in your name so small? And the answers are not what we think and sometimes not even what we want. We need this corrective that you are giving here. Would you please help us to receive it? at every place of our questioning, at every place of our doubting, at every place of our struggling, at every place where we're tempted to give in to the pressure of the world around us. Would you help us to heed your command to listen? To listen. We pray this in your name.